Today I have the absolute pleasure to sit down with the one and only J.R. Rivera. My introduction is real short and sweet. I'm just an average man trying to do extraordinary things with my gift. I'm a speaker, author, and also in, in the educational field and a former athlete. When I look back at my road and my journey early on as a kid, I was that kid that my father went to prison when I was four years old. All the male figures on my mom and dad's side spent time incarcerated and realizing that through education and athletics, I was afforded the opportunity to live above you know, what my circumstances were. And seeing that if you could just have that one person that speaks some light into you, you know, it'll help you so much further along those dark paths. You, you just need a little bit of light. That's what really drives and fuels my ambition on the daily and makes me have unlimited power is knowing that I can be that superhero for another kid that might not have anybody in their house that can help them get to where they want to be, or they might not have the right role models, you know, pointing them in the right direction. So I just want to be that voice, want to be that light for them. So. I've strategically positioned myself, you know, helping educators because I realize if I help the educators, they're in the classroom with the kids all day. I help professional athletes because I realize they're the role models that these kids are looking at. So, you know, those are the different dynamics of why I do it. Right now, I'm also working with the Trayvon Martin Foundation, helping to bridge that gap between fathers and young men and even young men who don't have a father or fathers that have lost kids. So just understanding that people go through trauma especially from the inner city, and being a beacon of light in those situations. I'm a part of also the Be Me community, where we shine a spotlight on uh, young black males and females who are doing extraordinary things in the community and provide resources to them. So I use my social media on a daily. I post motivational videos. I show myself and my kids um, to inspire other people that, you know, being a father is cool. You know, it's not something that you want to clock out on. It's, it's better than going to the club. It's better than getting high. It's better than, you know, getting that check for X amount of money. But to impact another human being, especially one that has the same blood flowing through their veins, is super important to me. And then on the daily, being able to go into schools, go into different um, environments and just help other people with my gift of speaking. How's it going, powerful people? My name is Edward Giles, and today, today I have the absolute pleasure to sit down with the one and only J.R. Rivera. How you doing today, brother? Oh, I'm doing well, man. It's an honor and a pleasure to be on the show. Well, thank you for coming to the Unlimited Power Show and sharing your unlimited power. So, one thing I always say is, I don't introduce people. You make the best impression when you tell people what you're all about. So, with that being said, give us an introduction. Uh, my introduction is real short and sweet. Um, I'm just uh, an average man trying to do extraordinary things with my gift. I'm a speaker, author, and also in, in the educational field and a former athlete. Okay. So I was looking into some of the speeches that you did, some of the interviews that you had, and one common rhetoric that came up is, I just want to help kids. Yeah, that's what really drives and fuels my ambition on the daily and makes me have unlimited power is knowing that I can be that superhero for another kid that might not have anybody in their house 
that can help them get to where they want to be or they might not have the right role models, you know, pointing them in the right direction. So I just want to be that voice, want to be that light for them. So I've strategically positioned myself, you know, helping educators because I realize if I help the educators, they're in the classroom with the kids all day. I help professional athletes because I realize they're the role models that these kids are looking at. So, you know, those are the different dynamics of why I do it. Okay. So with that being said, do you think that subconsciously you're helping yourself in the past? Tell us about you as a kid. How did that turn out for you? Absolutely. You know, when I look back at my road and my journey early on as a kid, I was that kid that my father went to prison when I was four years old. All the male figures on my mom and dad's side spent time incarcerated and realizing that through education and athletics, I was afforded the opportunity to live above, you know, what my circumstances were and seeing that if you could just have that one person that speaks some light into you, you know, it'll help you so much further along those dark paths. You, you just need a little bit of light. So run us through some of the things that you do so people can get a, a quick overview and a, at least a, a, a general uh, point about like your stance in the community right now. Um, right now, I'm also working with the Trayvon Martin Foundation helping to bridge that gap between fathers and young men and even young men who don't have a father or fathers that have lost kids. So just understanding that people go through trauma, especially from the inner city, and being a beacon of light in those situations, I'm a part of also the Be Me community where we shine a spotlight on uh, young black males and females who are doing extraordinary things in the community and provide resources to them. So I use my social media on a daily I post motivational videos. I show myself and my kids um, to inspire other people that, you know, being a father is cool. You know, it's not something that you want to clock out on. It's, it's better than going to the club. It's better than getting high. It's better than, you know, getting that check for X amount of money. But to impact another human being, especially one that has the same blood flowing through their veins, is super important to me. And then on the daily, being able to go into schools, go into different, um, environments and just help other people with my gift of speaking. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, your social media is really giving a lot of impact. In fact, BET actually voted you to be the most inspiring Instagram in 2015. 2015, right? Yes. So I, I saw you standing on the stage. You're calling, uh, what, what was the award that you were given? The People's Choice Award? Yes, the People's Choice Award. So, so. that was pretty cool. I was there with Zendaya presenting and uh, Nicki Minaj won mm -hmm. the Viewer's Choice Award. So the whole reasoning behind that was to do it so that kid could look up and say, well, if he could do it, then I could do it. And those kids being in my classroom on a daily, seeing me, you know, for the past couple of years, knowing that, you know, I put my pants on one leg at a time. I stand in the hallway trying to encourage them. I spend time, you know, speaking to them as a human being. And then they're like, wow, he can be on TV with all of the celebrities that, you know, I was dreaming of meeting or hoping to become it really, really makes things seem like it could really happen. It becomes from dream to reality for those kids. So that was my whole reason for going hard and making sure that I won that. You mentioned that, you know, you're doing it for the kids. When you were standing up there, what, what, I know, like, when you're a kid, you get excited for stuff. Like, what were you thinking? Like, you're standing up on the stage. All these famous people are looking at you. How did that feel for you? I actually thought it was kind of funny, like in a funny sense of like the whole time everybody is waiting to see all of you. 
and now you're all waiting to see me, and I'm only doing it because I want those kids to see me on TV. And it was kind of funny because everybody has their own angle of why they're there. Everybody has their own motive of why they want to get up on that stage. And I just thought it was funny because I'm probably the most, you know, awkward person to be in the room, so to speak, coming from my background and then understanding that I fit so well in that environment. Like everybody, I belong there, yeah. you know, and knowing that I belong, you know, it was just kind of funny. It was like, I'm supposed to be here. So it was a cool, cool moment. So it sounds like you're very purpose-driven. Like, you're standing on top of the stage, you're getting an award. You, I mean, you got an award, you're giving an award, but you're thinking about the kids. I mean, is your purpose given to you, or did you think you created this purpose in your own head? Do you think that it was bestowed upon you? I think the purpose is always inside of you, and um, I think it's a couple different lanes that you can take. You know, people always say, oh, my purpose pulled me or this or that. But I think it's different lanes that you could take. And as you're going through life and through your journey, if you find that purpose, it starts to pull you into the correct lane. So uh, when I was walking on campus at FAU, you know, my purpose wasn't just the kids. My purpose was my family, but it was always the younger family to see that it was possible to go to college, being a first generation student, um, knowing that. I could help someone else in my family see that they could make it all the way through and get that degree and, you know, be someone successful besides going in the streets and trying to make it happen. So I always had the purpose of inspiring, but then to realize that I can inspire not just my family and the, the younger generation in my lineage, but I can inspire the world. So that opened up a whole different realm of like, you know, how I can go get it and how I can make these things happen. So the purpose is something that you kind of pump fuel into. And as you pump that fuel into it, now you can go further and you can stay in your lane and make things happen. So I've just been in my lane and you know making things happen and keep pumping that fuel daily. I remember at one point, football was like your major lane. You wanted to be in the NFL, you was going for it, and you know that, that kind of like got you redirected towards another, another route. What would you say are the most important lessons you learned in playing football? Oh man, football teaches you um, to be consistent, to compete, and to be willing to change. I call those the three C's that I speak on, and it taught me not to ever be okay with average. You know, coming from where I come from, no one in my family had ever gotten a college scholarship. So for me, academically, I graduated high school with a 4.13 GPA. I turned down some Ivy League schools and ended up coming to FAU at the last moment because of you know, different situations at another school didn't turn out at the last moment. But I came here and I earned a scholarship as I was already in school. So football taught me to never back down from challenges. Like adversity would knock on your door every day. As an athlete, you know, you might get injured. They might bring in another player. They might not believe in you that day. You know, you might have a bad day. So football really taught me how to be resilient, man, and to bounce back and to fight through adversity. So do you, did you feel like it was an underdog like at any point? Oh, always, man. I've always been the underdog with a big dog inside, man. You know, everybody else is barking, and I'm just ready to get in that fight. That's, in, that's interesting. With football, you said that in the beginning of, you know, transitioning from, from the school that you were to FAU, you had to, you had to earn that scholarship. You had to work for that scholarship. But then when you got there, you had the most punt blocks. Right. I mean, 
what's in you to block? I mean, how do you like block so many plugs? I mean, how do you do that? I mean, it, it's crazy because when I go and speak to teams, you know, whether it's a professional team or a college team or even a high school team, I always ask them, what is the hardest play to make in football? And, you know, kids and young men, they'll say, oh, one-handed catch or quarterback last second touchdown or, you know, running or blocking this or doing this or doing that. But the most, like, that came up in statistics, the hardest thing to ever do is to block a punt. Some teams go five, six years without even having one punt blocked. So for me, that was my way to get on the field. No one else wanted to do it. You know, we in practice, everybody wanted to catch the touchdown. Everybody wanted to play defense, make plays, and be the starter and do these things. But special teams are for special people. You know, and I was playing special teams, and I took it serious. I knew that it took a special person to come off the sideline where you're not warm. You got to think about it. I'm standing on the sideline while everybody's running and doing whatever, and then they're calling me on the last down. It's fourth down. They might have had a drive for 10 plays, and they're like, go make a play. So there's no scratching. You get out there, and I'm lined up the New Orleans Bowl, which is my most famous uh, punt block, which got us the New Orleans Bowl victory. Um, I'm lining up and trying to key the ball because as soon as that ball barely moves, I got to fly off the ball like a jet. Just to have a chance to get there, you got to be perfect. Like, you can't have a false step. You can't do anything wrong. And uh, I'm looking down, and one of my teammates' helmet is literally blocking and obstructing my view. And uh, I just remember before that play asking God to play through me. I'm a man of faith. And uh, I came off the ball late, like a split second late, and there's no reason that I should have been able to get to it. But, again, adversity always introduces you to yourself. So even though there was adversity, I still was that guy. And I went, and I remember the guy going to hit me. I turned my shoulder because you got to make somebody literally miss in a phone booth. And uh, I turned my shoulder, and he missed me. And I turned around him. You got to literally step around him, and boom, I took it off the punter's foot. And uh, it changed the course of the game and allowed us to end up going on the victory. And I credit being able to block punts to the same thing in life, man. A lot of things are going to be hard. You're going to seem like you're a little bit late getting started sometimes. But if you trust the process and you believe in yourself and you always show up with your very best effort, eventually you're going to get there and make it happen. You know, the interesting about punts, right? He said life is like punting. It's like blocking punts, but also it's like kicking them. Sometimes when the ball is in the hand of the, oppo the opposer, when after all their downs are done, they have to punt it to the team. So there's an opportunity for another person. Right. So once one team loses their possession, somebody else gains it. It's right. the same thing. Like once you lose possession in one area, God kind of shifts you to go towards a different route. You, like you wanted to be in the NFL, but you know God shifted you to being in the league of inspiring these kids. You know, there's something that was very interesting as far as inspiring kids. You told me. You said when you walk in the classroom, before you check their homework, you check their mind. Absolutely. Tell us the philosopher behind that. Well, I'm a firm believer that kids come from trauma, especially in the neighborhoods that I was teaching in. I wasn't teaching in, you know, the fortunate areas where, you know, they had two-parent homes and everything was going good. I was teaching in the neighborhoods where people were scared to walk through. What neighborhoods was that? Um, I was down in Little Havana, uh, mm -hmm. Opelika area, yeah, that's down there where um, Liberty City, 
um, all of the projects are, and I love those kids because those are the kids that are hungry and ambitious to get up out of those situations and they just need a beacon of light. So when they're walking in the classroom, you don't know what they went through in the car ride to school, if they had a car ride or if they walked to school. You know, some kids were coming in class, they're wet because they walked in the rain. You know, we would just laugh and talk about that before we get into, you know, talking about math or homework and things like that. And that always helped them to decompress and see that I saw them as a human being because people want to be seen. People really want to be seen. People really want to be felt and heard and know that they are a person. So allowing them to know that they are seen, they are felt, and they're a human being. And then, you know, holding them accountable to still try and get their work done and make sure that, you know, they have the proper resources to try and get those things accomplished. So I wanted to make sure, you know, mentally, are you here? You know, are you able to be fully present? Or is there something that's going to stop you from getting what I'm trying to give out because then we're just wasting time? So I always want to check them here and here, the mind and the heart, make sure that they're there. You know, most people check them. <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to check you, man. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you check their minds, so that's, that's really dope. Yeah, and that's what I try to, you know, display across the educators. You know, I travel across the country speaking to educators and helping them prevent burnout. And part of the reason why they're burning out is because they're in this constant battle and struggle trying to, you know, just press upon these students that, you know, they're superior and, you know, they want it their way. It's like a dictatorship instead of understanding that, no, you got to dig deep and understand that those kids come from something that you could never understand in most situations and circumstances. So you have to be willing to be vulnerable, so to speak, and allow them to, you know, speak to you and have a conversation with you and not just be like, yo, it's my way, just get this, 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 this. So I had different ways and I was a stern teacher. You know, I never had a problem with classroom management. Teachers used to come to me for help. Um, but that was because I created that environment. Environment is super important. Would that be an important, like one of the pillars of not burning out is to create that, that environment? Oh, absolutely, man. If you don't have an environment that's conducive to recharging you, and refueling you, you're gonna burn out. Because if I'm the only one that's giving out, giving out, giving out, eventually my cup is gonna be empty. You can't pour from an empty cup. My students poured into me, I poured into my students. So it was a continued process and we were able to complete, you know, a powerful year each time through that. Besides connecting to the source, you know, God, what are some ways that you replenish your cup? Like as, as a teacher yourself, as an educator? Oh man, I had, I had a pet peeve that between school started at 7:15. As an educator, I'm supposed to be there at exactly 7. I would get to school early, 6:30, 6:45, and between 6:45 and 7, I'm in a conversation with heaven. I'm gonna pray it up. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna get my mind, body, and soul right. So I might do some push-ups in there for the body, my mind. I'm gonna read a little quote or something, and then I'm gonna post a motivational, you know, some little piece on Instagram. And then, you know, my, my soul, my spirit, I'm going to get my prayer life together. And I'm not opening my door for any students because a lot of people, they come in the classroom and it's straight into teaching. It's straight into listening to questions. And you, you're basically being educationally attacked as soon as you come in there or you're late and you're running. You're trying to get your board configuration together and what you're doing. So being on time is super, super important. You know, to me, that's something that allows you to be most productive is to show up on time and then to tap into the mind, body, and the soul.
Do it. So have some time for yourself before you have the time for the kids. Absolutely. All right. And coming up next, we're going to make some time for some actual motivation for you, inspiration for you, and some practical tips on preventing not only teacher burnout, but how to incorporate mindfulness um, and other practices within yourself to develop, grow, and educate right after these messages. I know that many of you that invest the time to watch every single week are developing the characteristics of a dream chaser. But I just want to know how much are you willing to invest into that very dream that you have right now? What are you willing to invest in this week? What are you willing to plant down hard so that it can give growth? Remember, the best time to have planted a tree was 20 years ago. But the next best time is right now. So stop worrying about the time that it will take for that dream to take place. Time is going to pass itself anyway. Don't worry about the time. Just get started. Today, I need you to invest into that dream. When you become a true investor, you can't be afraid of the risk. Don't focus on all the reasons why it can't work. I just need you to find one reason, just one good reason to not give up this week, to keep going and believe that the dream is still possible because if it's possible, then you can still chase it. So keep it alive with that one ounce of hope that you have. Keep pressing forward. I know it's possible. Yes, now that you know that it's very possible, I just need you to get this last principle this week. Visualization. Yep, I'm talking about when you were a kid, that fairy tale ending that you had in your head where you saw yourself being successful. That's what I need. I need you to see yourself crossing that finish line this week. I need you to see yourself being successful, taking that extra step, going one more mile. Remember, the eyes cross the ocean before the feet do. Let's take short steps and have a long vision. Believe in that which you want. Let's stop skipping first base and thinking that we're gonna get favorable results. Remember, every base counts. See yourself at first base, second base, third base. Then bring it on home. Bring it on home. You have what it takes to bring it all the way home. Bring that dream home and feed your family. Eat until the whole family's full. Mile. Welcome back, powerful people. My name is Edward Giles, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with J.R. Rivera. My pleasure. So we were talking about educating our youth, inspiring them. What's the difference between education and inspiration? There's not a lot of difference. I believe that when you're educating somebody, you should inspire them, because why would I want to listen to you if you're not inspiring me? You know, that's the whole theological thought of it going in one ear and out the other one. If I'm not inspired, I'm not going to hold what you just put into my ears. So I believe the inspiration has to be infused into the education. So those, those two are, you know, married together. But sometimes we're like stuck in the information, 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 and we don't necessarily get that inspiration out there. I mean, how have you been able to do that yourself? Did, I mean, how do you integrate that within math? Oh, man, I, I use sports. I use um, pop culture, so if I'm in there and I'm, I'm teaching a kid about, you know, isosceles triangles, you know, I got a cool little story that I make up of this woman that came in with these two long legs, and I'm like, the legs should be the same, yeah. you know, right? Are you sure? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they get all interested in the story. I'm like, yeah, she came into my classroom. They think the story is real. 
at the end of the story, they come and they're like, hey, who, who was the lady that came in your class? I'm like, Beyonce. You know, I just tell them something crazy. But after that, that story, they know that an isosceles triangle has two congruent legs. You know, and I show them like, you know, even if it's turned or flipped, I'm like, yeah, the lady, she fell down. And, you know, I ain't look up on her dress or nothing, but she fell. And it was like this, you know, and I really, you know, yeah. give them that yeah. visual. And those kids, to this day, I'm pretty sure they still know what an isosceles triangle is. And they're like, ah, you remember that story? You know, and um, that's what I do. And then, like, you know, I use sports. I infuse it. You know, if I'm teaching a student, let's say, um, uh, let's say midpoint, you know, which is a point that's in between two other points on a line, I might say, okay, if, who doesn't understand midpoint? Some students, and the students have to be, you know, interactive with me so they know, if they don't know something, to go ahead and be willing to be a, a clown, so to speak, or lost, so to speak, for those five seconds so that they could get it and never be lost again. And um, I teach that before, you know, I ever start educating them, is to be present and be willing to ask questions. So the student asks a question, I'm like, all right, give me three students. I bring them up there, might bring a basketball, right? You're student A, you're B, you're C, student B's in the middle. And I'm like, okay, I want you to pass the, the ball all the way from end point to end point. So you're gonna pass the ball from A all the way to C. Now I want you to pass it to the midpoint. And they look and they're like, oh, the midpoint is just the point in the middle. Boom, you got it. You know, and, and it's because they're a basketball player or they like basketball. And I'm, I'll put names on it. I'll be like, all right, this is Kyrie, this is LeBron, this is Kevin Durant or whoever, you know, and you know, I would make it fun and cool for them. And, and every class was different because there might be a class where the majority of my class likes soccer. So now I got Messi and I got different soccer players. You know, and then it might be a class that, you know, likes baseball. So now I got to get baseball players. So being able to just understand what interests people is the only way you can inspire. If it doesn't interest them, there's no way you can inspire them. So the information comes at the end. So I think it's interest, inspire, information. And if you have those three components, that person's going to keep that, that um, information that you gave to them. It sticks. They have something visually that they can attach to what right. you said. So, I mean, we were talking about the power of, of visualization, right, just earlier. And I, I start to incorporate that all day. I'm, what I'm doing is I'm daydreaming positively. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big visualizer. Uh, I realized that I was reading a book, Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice. And Dr. Kimbrough had rewrote Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. And I was reading that book all the way till I got to the destination of my last football game, which I didn't know it was my last football game. I was playing professional indoor football. I was going to Missouri and I'm reading through this book and didn't realize that I had grasped this concept. I literally walked up and down the field before the game and I always would walk up and down the field, you know, kind of get myself ready for the game, but this time was different. I walked to each end zone and visualized myself scoring touchdowns and I visualized myself scoring four touchdowns and I scored four touchdowns that game. Like, it was, it was crazy because every time I would score, my team would be so ecstatic and happy. They'd be like, oh man, you scored one, oh man, you scored two. And I would be like, that's two. I was never satisfied. And you know, it, it was crazy how it all panned out. And the last one, I literally took the ball out of one of my teammates' hands who was fumbling with the ball in the end zone about to get a safety, took the ball out of his hand and ran the whole field and scored. And I'm like, that's the fourth one, I'm good now. <laughs> So, I mean, briefly, tell us about some of the other visions that you have for yourself. Some of the visions that I have for myself, man, I see myself owning a school. I see myself being that person that people look to, like the Khan Academy. 
I, I have the Mile Academy, you know, and, you know, I see myself as that person who can actually bring that sauce, so to speak, to education. You know, I see myself as that person and I see myself as a father being there for my kids and being able to provide at a whole new level and having, you know, financial freedom. You, you were saying that there are teachers right now who are millionaires. Yes. I remember you said that in the speech. Yeah, there's, there's teachers that are, are making that seven figures. You know, not only are they teachers, but they probably own the school too. You got a guy like Ron Clark. Ron Clark has the Ron Clark Academy. He's doing speaking engagements for X amount of money. He's got books. You know, he's got PDs. He's got curriculum out there. And he has a phenomenal school. And there are people like that that are going around the country that are doing phenomenal work and they're being compensated for it at that level because they don't have that institutionalized mindset of I can only be in a classroom, I can only help these kids, I can only do that. And when you expand upon the possibilities and you realize like I fell into it, you know, when you really want something and you go after it hard, you start to see everything else that's around you. You're like, man, I never noticed. I was on Instagram posting motivational videos, but I didn't realize there was a whole community of educators. I just had a quote voted in the top 55 quotes all time of education. It was actually number, I think, 13. Of the 55 most influential quotes of all time, and I'm like, I only taught for nine years. And it just blows my mind that, you know, they probably would have never saw that had I not been posting and tagging the certain community. So that was really cool. And I just found that out like a couple days ago. So what quote? Tell us that quote. So the quote is actually that inside of every educator, there's a child that needed a better educator. Mm -hmm. So that, to be a great educator, you have to have experience not having a great educator. That's my firm belief is that, you know, when you're missing something, you truly want to become that missing piece. So that's what I put in there. And, uh, they ran with it. So giving them what you wish you had. Yes, absolutely. And, and not just giving them, but giving them what you needed. Because, you know, a lot of people, they get into that whole, give them what you never had. And that's the whole, oh, let's give them no homework. Or, oh, let's give them candy all the time. Or let's give them someone that's like a friend. No, I, I'm giving them what they need, what I needed at that time, was someone who could stand in front of that classroom. And like I said, be able to, so first of all, connect with me, and then second of all, be able to inspire me, and then third of all, give me the right information that could change my situation. The right information that can change your situation. Situations are interesting because it seems like situations literally, they, they help us progress in life. You know, the, the ups and the trouts, uh, they help us. Now, tell us about a time where a certain situation kind of wasn't comfortable for you, but then it, it boosted you up to a place where you didn't know you wanted to be or? Oh, I can definitely, I got a whole bunch of those because, you know, in life, if you don't have the ups and downs, last time I checked, you flatlining, you out of there. You, did. you know, you <laughs> did. So for me, man, I can tell you, you know, when I was in school at FAU, uh, I came here, I didn't even know how to fill out the paperwork because no one in my family had ever been to college. So I'm filling out this paperwork and some way, somehow, I checked that I had Florida prepaid and not just Bright Futures. So they're thinking that my college is already prepaid for. So here I am getting this expensive meal plan and all this stuff. They're telling me the money there like I'm good. So I do all of these things and about three, four weeks into school, 
the RA is like, have you checked your mailbox? I'm like, well, I need to check my mailbox for like, my dad is in prison and he don't know this address. My mom got a phone and she ain't writing no letters. My girl, she calling me on the phone like, who writing me? Like, I don't need to check a mailbox. I'm not expecting anything. So they're like, I think you should check it. I don't check it. Another two days go by, they're like, listen, you need to check your mailbox because there's some important stuff in there. They already know what's in there. So I go in there, I check it. It's a little pink slip in there, and it's saying you owe $943.32. I don't have that. And my mom don't have that. And I don't have anybody else to lean on. So in that time, like, that was a downtime. At that same time, all of my football stuff, the clearinghouse stuff hadn't came in, so I couldn't even practice with the team at that moment. So here I am in college, so to speak, but they're telling me I'm about to go home because I don't have enough money in my account. I'm not able to practice with the football team, which is why I came to college, so I could play ball, and then I don't have anybody to lean on. So I'm kind of all alone, so to speak. For some reason, I was like, I'm not going home. I just like straight up, like that was my response. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have a plan at all, but I'm not going home. Like that, that's all I know is that this is not an option. Whatever else got to happen on this side can happen, but going home, that's not an option. So my mom, she like cussed me out practically. She like, you better figure it out. You need to come, just come home or this, that. Cause no one had been to college. I have an older sister that, she had a child in high school, so graduating high school was like good, like you did it. Let alone, I graduated one of the top of my class. I was a 4.13 GPA, and I'm in college. She's like, you good, like, just come home. I'm like, I ain't coming home. We gotta figure this out. She's like, I don't have no money, and she going into it, and, and at that moment, something told me to just not allow the negativity to seep in, so I was like, can I just call you back? I got off the phone as quickly as possible, and I just tried to go through my daily routine. I went to my classes, like I was supposed to be there and everything was paid for. I'm listening, I'm taking notes, I'm trying to get this information, and I'm tapping into my inspiration that, you know, I gotta make it, you know, I have to. And uh, probably like two days go by, and I ain't even called my mom for one whole day. The next time that she, I talked to her, she just like, is everything all right? How you feeling, this or that, don't worry about it. And then that, that second day, later on in the day, I remember her calling and um, she told me that one of my uncles, that uh, he had lawn service and he, for some reason, he just felt compelled to like, you know, I'll pay it and make sure that, you know, you, you can stay in college. And it was crazy because backtracking, I would go and work with him on Saturdays when I was in high school, my last two years of high school. And he was like slaving us, man. We getting $50 to cut like 100 yards, no lie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a lot of money to me anyway. I was in high school, but I should have been getting paid a lot more. But he was teaching us, you know, responsibility and how to, you know, be a hardworking uh, man and then also how to steward your money. And then at the same time, you know, that bought me, so to speak, the opportunity to be able to connect with him and him understand that I was serious about this because we had talked about, you know, me going to college, me playing ball and doing all these things. And he really wanted to see that come to fruition. So it was a no-brainer for him to help out. And um, when I got that, I was like, I'm never going to need anything again. So when I got that money, I paid it to the um, financial aid, and I went and talked to this lady. Her name was Miss Trina, and I'll never forget her. She passed 
um, a couple years ago, they told me, actually when I was speaking here, I found out that she uh, passed. But Miss Trina was like a second mother to me. You know, I didn't know how to fill out my financial aid stuff. I would go in the back. Like, I'm, I'm one of them cats, like, you like, what is he doing? I'm going in the back. I'm like, where's Miss Trina at? They're like, for what? I'm like, tell her her son's here. Now, this is a white lady. So they like, her son. I'm like, just tell her her son here. And I would go back there, and she would tell me, like, okay, you need to write this form. You need to do it like this. We need to call your mom. She needs to do this, this. And she would walk me through it, man. Had she not walked me through that stuff, man, I wouldn't be sitting here with a college degree. And um, she was one of those people that really looked out for me. And she told me like how to get more scholarships and I would go and write essays and everything. I'm like, I'm never going to need anyone to give me another dollar the time that I'm at school. And that's what made me go so hard in football and get that scholarship so that, you know, now I was actually, I had a bank account with some money in it. You know, once I got a scholarship, I, I was in the, in the green. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't breaking even no more. So that was just, you know, a, a time where, you know, I could have gave up. You know, I was in the pit and I just, took the, 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 the digging tool, whatever I was using to dig that up and just put it down and just pause and just, you know, realize like, you know, if I just stop, I can just try to figure my way out and stop digging this hole, just figure my way out, you know, because you, you start saying all these negative things and you give up and you, you just keep digging. And before you know it, you're going to bury yourself. So, you know, I found my way out of that situation by the grace of God and with some help from family and just positive thinking. You know, so that was a great time for me. I mean, how did you muster up? Because some people are probably going through the same thing. I've went through multiple financial setbacks in college. How did you muster up that courage to, to get help? What would you tell someone? I would tell that someone that, you know, until you're willing to expose your lack, you will never have what you need. And I was one of those people. I was very prideful. You know, like I told you, I was one of the top people in my class. I was one of the top athletes. Like, I always saw that I could work and make things happen. But there will be a circumstance or situation in your life where you can't work your way out of it. You have to actually be vulnerable. And um, I would tell someone to actually be vulnerable and be willing to pause and then to tap into whatever that prayer or whatever that, that extra source of positivity that you have and then just try and go through your routine and allow things to happen. So there's a whole law of attraction and manifesting things. Ask, believe, and receive, but you can't force it. So let it flow and um, you know, just be, be willing to be vulnerable, you know, especially with those that are close to you. You have to have at least one or two people that you're willing to be vulnerable with. And it's not that I was asking my mom for the money. I was just being transparent. Like, I have this situation and I don't know where I'm going to get this money from, but I'm not coming home. And I think that sparked her to figure out, like, I need to help him figure this out. And she told somebody else who happened to be my uncle, and he said, I'm going to make it happen. So I just think the vulnerability is very big because not only was I vulnerable in that situation, my mother was too. I'm pretty sure she had pride. She wanted to be able to say she provides for her kids, but... In that circumstance, she could not provide 900 and X amount of dollars. So she was vulnerable to my uncle who uh, made that happen. You know, the, the statement, I don't want to go home, that came up in my rhetoric too. It was like thinking about going home from college in the midst of, not in the midst of uh, trying to accomplish it and not yet done is a failure to yourself thinking like, I left the hood <laughs> and I'm going back to the hood 
with no proof of my accomplishment. That's real. That's real. And, and that is exactly what I think people have to have. You got to have, you can have this IQ of whatever. You can have Albert Einstein's IQ. But if your I quit is bigger than your I will, you'll never make anything happen. You know, it's so easy to say I quit and I give up. Anybody could quit. You can go find someone on the side of the road to come to school, start, and quit. I could get a 99-year-old lady to start, you know, a marathon. Anybody could start. You know, it's just taking the first step. But to finish, you got to endure and you got to say, I will not give up. Like, this will have to kill me before I go home. Like, I will not give up. I remember when I wasn't playing, I told myself, I'm not going home on breaks. Like, what I'm going home for? What I'm celebrating for? Guys want to go out to the club and do this. Do uh, what am I celebrating? Like, I have to make it to this level, and I have to make these things happen because I will not go home. And that, that pushed me a long way, man, a long way. Now I bet you look forward towards going home, right? I mean, like, you're home. See your daughters and stuff. Oh, yeah, of course, man. Going, going home, seeing my kids, you know, uh, I have a son and a daughter, and, and being able to see them and spend time with them is everything. But it's also I'm not going home empty-handed. You know what I'm saying? So now it's shifted. Yeah, it's shifted. It's the same story, though. Yeah. I'm not going home empty-handed. I got to bring some home. It's like we wanted to bring that, that uh, college um, diploma? diploma home. I mean, degree home. When we bring a degree home that, you know, showed that we had accomplished something, now is I got to bring something home, whether it's a new relationship as far as business-wise or a story of how I've impacted, you know, the world, so to speak, or bringing home those, that bag, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got to make things happen for your family. That's powerful. Make things happen, and it's definitely possible for you. And when we come back, we're going to finalize this episode. We're going to tell you how you can reach uh, JR and uh, some of the things that he has going on and possibly share some personal development tips with you. I'll see you right back. So, JR, you've shared a lot of great things. You've shared your story. You've shared um, what really led you to living this purposeful life, helping teachers overcome or at least uh, master themselves so that they don't burn out. With all that being said, what would be your final message to everyone watching today? My final message would be self-care, self-care, self-care. Like when you learn to take care of yourself, then you can take care of, you know, your goals and ambitions, your family and everything else. But if you don't take care of this, you don't get a new one. Like you, you're going to do life in this right here. And if you don't take care of this right here, you won't do life very well. Okay. Well. Thank you for being on the show, brother. Oh, man. How, how can people follow you and get in contact with you? Um, to follow me and get in contact with me uh, is very simple. All of my social media is at JR Revere. Um, and you can find me on Instagram. I'm mostly on there, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I also have YouTube, LinkedIn, and I have my book, What's Eating Up Your Time. That's an interactive time management self-help book. And uh, you can find me anywhere, any day, um, inspiring and trying to be a light. All right. Thank you for being on the show, brother. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you for tuning in to the Unlimited Power Show. We had another one, growth conversation. And I hope that you continuously grow. I don't just hope. I know you'll continuously grow because, remember, you have the unlimited power in you to achieve whatever it is that you want. But first, you must believe it before it can happen. Until you do that, the world will forever miss all your talents, all your gifts, and all the great things that you have to offer. So remember, let your light shine, don't hide it, 
don't dim it. Uh, please be sure to follow at Unlimited Power Show to stay tuned and also follow me at CEO Ambitionist. With that being said, have a great day.